Hello, welcome back. I am Charles Musgrove. Hey, back in studio today. It's been a while, and uh, it's good to be back in the Tallahassee studios at Real Talk 93.3. And guess what? We are, as you can see if you're watching this on YouTube, we're actually doing some uh, physical distance. We have our guest in the house today, Roxanne Sexton with the Bean Team, and we're across glass. So we've got, we're we're fully compliant with the six-foot uh, distance and even better than that we have a glass barrier in between us so we are we are complying with all of the state federal uh, standards so Roxanne welcome back this is going to be another great show if you remember uh, those that are listening and watching we had Roxanne in studio a few weeks ago and the subject at that point was the paycheck protection program and that is still a very hot subject, and it's one we're going to go over today. Originally, well, you know, when the thing first came out, the big deal was how do we how do we apply for the loans? So that show was more dedicated to how to apply for the loans. Now we're in the phase that most people have received their funding, or they've they've received an allocation that they will be funded. So now people are looking at, okay, how do I spend the money correctly to get the maximum amount of forgiveness? So we have, we've been fielding a lot of questions with that, and we're trying to help clients navigate through that process. So Roxanne, thank you for coming back today. And you have, the, the reason I wanted you to come back is because you are the, you're the, the detail person. You're the one that knows the rules the best and have been on top of what the SBA and the Fed has, has issued as far as guidelines and uh, the FAQs on how to apply this. So that's a big deal. So thanks for coming back. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it still continues to change. You know, we got um, updates last week. We got updates over the weekend. Uh, We actually got an update on Sunday. So (laughs) there are constantly new uh, pieces of information that are being uh, released to the public uh, as they address these different questions and concerns and give us more information. There's a lot of a lot to digest. uh, So it's it's going to be a process for everybody. It's going to be a process, and they are. I think that is, uh, I don't know if it's uh, if it's a good thing or bad thing, but I do find it interesting that some of this stuff has been done over the weekend, just like the uh, the latest FAQs were, were issued on May 3rd, so that was Sunday night. So mm-hmm. uh, what they're doing in those FAQs, and that's issued uh, in combination with the SBA and the Fed. So they're, they're trying to interpret how to, how to go through the process of the loan itself, as well as the the forgiveness calculation, which I, I, I predict there's going to be more uh, guidelines that come out in the future on the uh, just how to do that calculation to determine what amount is forgiven. Definitely. So it is, uh, anyway, they just came out with the, the latest on, on May 3rd, and what they're doing on those FAQs is it's not a whole new set of FAQs. They're just adding to the bottom. So each time they come out with some, the number grows from 39 to 41 or what whatever those are so they're going to keep adding to those faqs as they as they address more issues and they try to address people's concerns and and really add some definition to those calculations yeah it's a good resource to keep checking back um you know we just got a email forwarded today you know that had a a reference to one of the updated and of course unfortunately then it linked to the old version you do have to make sure that you're refreshing going back to the sba website to look at that and make sure you're getting the latest because they do i mean we had one from uh, i want to say it was the 29th of april and then four days later they released a new one so if you I have a question just make sure you keep going back and checking because 
that website, they're updating those questions frequently. Yeah, absolutely. And for those that are still trying to get a loan, they, there are there is still money available on the second round of the PPP, as I understand it. Uh, the original expectation was they were going to run through that money quickly. I heard some people predicting two to three days they would run through the money, but it's been over a week and they still have a money money available under that program. So if, you, or if you're eligible to apply for that, uh, there's still time to do it. Make sure you follow the rules in applying for that loan, but uh, there is still money available under the, the PPP program. There's still idle money available. I know we're getting emails that the SBA is, they are going through that idle uh, $10,000 request amount. Yes. So I think that's just been a, a slower process. I think they are actually uh, looking at different industries on what to focus on first with that idle money. So <clears throat> I know the agricultural industry is one that they, they're targeting now uh, in the early phases of this round two for, for spending that idle money. So uh, they're trying to target the industry so they take care of the industries that, that are most important to us. So getting food to the population is, is pretty important. So I'm, I'm glad they're taking care of that. And uh, hopefully they keep those meat, meat uh, packing plants open so that we can get good uh, good chicken and good ground beef and steaks. So we want to we make sure that our, our grocery stores are stocked with, with good fresh meat. Absolutely. Uh, that's a huge priority and making sure they've got enough workers, healthy workers. Exactly. Uh, to, to keep paying those people to do those jobs that are essential right now. Yeah. And I did, I did hear from a client today also that he had applied for the $10,000 uh, part of that idle money and he got uh, $7,000. So apparently what they're doing also is they're adjusting. It's based on employees. It's uh, up to $1,000 or I think they're doing $1,000 per employee on your payroll. If you have more than 10 employees, you get a 10,000. If it's under 10 employees, you get the same amount, a thousand per employee. Okay. So that's good information. So yes, that, that person, that, that question that the reason he got less than 10,000 is small company. You only get a thousand dollars per right. person. So good information. Uh, that's why you're on this show, Roxanne. <laughs> so uh, I think if we go through, Roxanne, if we go through the, the components of that calculation for the forgiveness part, I think that'll be, that'll be fairly detailed oriented. And I think that really is, is going to provide the information that people really want to hear. And that's going to be very helpful to them as they're, as they're going through, as they're spending their money now. If they've got the money, then they have that eight-week uh, period to spend the money and to spend it correctly. So it, it is uh, the, the challenge is for those companies that their business hasn't fully opened. If you're in the restaurant or your bar, or the bar industry and you're you're not fully open or you're not you haven't been cleared to open at all, then and your eight weeks is counting, then it's really a challenge for you. Absolutely, that's going to be uh, critical though of what you're doing right now. If you got funded last week. You really have to be making the smart decisions right now uh, if you want to be able to maximize that forgiveness. So it's very important to make sure that you have a plan. Don't go into it uh, just kind of willy-nilly spending money. You do need to plan for it and uh, and make sure that you're allocating the right amounts in the right places so that you know what to expect at the end of the eight weeks. All right. Well, good. I think the show is uh, anything else we want to consider for the show that we go into? I think that's it. I mean, I think the PPP forgiveness is a that's huge a, topic. That's a big deal. So I think we leave it at that, and we'll get into the details and the calculation of that because there's several parts to that. So we're going to talk about the different uh, – basically, there's four areas of the calculation. So we'll go through each one of those four areas 
and there's some sub sub components of that. So we'll dive into that during the show. So with that being said, I'm going to say, John, play us a little bit of music, get us set up for the recording of the radio show, and we'll launch right into it. Welcome to the Business Matters Talk Show with Charles Musgrove. On Business Matters, we discuss the issues that matter to your business. Find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and BeanTeam.com. And now here's your host, Charles Musgrove. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are still in COVID crisis phase one. We are coming out of the COVID crisis. We're in phase one right now in the state of Florida. I am Charles Musgrove, your host of Business Matters. I'm back in studio today. So if you're listening on the radio, if you're listening to the podcast, go check us out on YouTube. You'll see the cool setup that our general manager, John Jopling, has set up here at Real Talk 93.3. He's got the setup for us. Got some new studio lights. We've got a can of Lysol. We've sprayed everything down. We've got physical separation. We've got Roxanne, our guest. She's on one side of a glass wall. I'm on the other. So we've got it all. We're in compliance with whatever state or federal regulations are out there. We've got social, physical distance. John, I don't know what else we're missing, but I think we're we're in good shape. It's good to be back in the studio. It's good to see businesses opening back up. And let me just say what day it is because the date and the time is important. I need to look at my watch, my clock. The Cinco de Mayo today is May 5th. It is 3.25 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you're listening to or you're watching this show after that, if something big has happened between the recording time and your listening time or your watching time, we tried to give you what time we watched it, so don't hold us accountable for things that's going to change because you know how much things have changed during this COVID crisis. I mean, it is like minute by minute things may change. So uh, guess what? We are going to talk today about the PPP, the Paycheck, Paycheck Protection Program. And Roxanne Sexton, welcome back to the studio. Thank you. It's good to be here. This is Roxanne Sexton's second time in studio. She is with the Bean Team. She is an account manager there. She is a star, and she has been the main person that has dealt with the details of the implementation the application process for this Paycheck Protection Program, and she has been a great resource to help clients to try to help them navigate through the process. So uh, I just wanted to have Roxanne back in the studio, and today we're going to talk about the to maximize the forgiveness portion of that Paycheck Protection Program. So that's going to be a that's a real uh, meaty topic. That's something that's really important that clients and and the business owners out there that have applied for and received that loan, that's a big deal right now is how do I spend the money to maximize what is forgiven? Yeah. The most important thing, you can get it from the name. It's the Paycheck Protection Program. The goal will be to spend as much as you can, up to 75% or more even of the loan on paycheck replacement. So that is paying your employees wages. That's um, possibly even paying them for tips that they're losing if you're in a tipped industry. Uh, you want to make sure that you are paying out at least 75% of that total loan amount on payroll. Now, the tricky part of that is, is that you have eight weeks to spend it, starting from the day that you received the money. So you have to make sure that you are planning for that, that when you do payroll, 
you only have eight weeks to make sure you spend that whole 75% of your loan. So it can be a challenge for some people if you've uh, had to cut back hours or you've had to let people go. You really need to be uh, on top of that and making sure that you have a plan to address that. Good. I think that is, that's really step one. So I'd mentioned there's, there's a four-step process. And step one is to do that calculation. So if you got a loan for $100,000, then 75% of that has to be spent on payroll. So before you do anything else, who gets paid or how many people you have to have on payroll, you have to have that as a, as a target. Okay, $75,000 we're going to spend on payroll. Now, payroll cost is, has a definition itself. So there's things that you can't include and things that you can include in that. So big picture, uh, some of the things that you can't include in that or limitations on the amount of payroll that to be included in that would be? One major thing, you have to make sure you're not including your payroll taxes. So that would be your FICA, your uh, federal unemployment, your state unemployment. Well, I take that back. The state unemployment does get added back in. Uh, but you do have to be careful about those payroll taxes. Um, make sure you're counting the gross wages of the employees, not their net paychecks. That can really confuse things if you uh, if you do that wrong. Uh, a lot of the payroll companies, if you use a payroll service, they are currently working on getting customized reports out so that you'll easily be able to designate a time frame and run those specific reports. But if you're doing it yourself, you need to make sure you're pulling the gross wages and excluding your social security tax, your Medicare tax, your federal unemployment, those items do not get counted. Uh, and, and again, when we're talking about gross wages, that includes your hourly wages, your salary, up to $100,000 per person. Now, you know. That annualized. Annualized, yes. Right. So you have to be a little bit careful with that uh, when you're calculating those amounts. Make sure that you uh, take that 100000 divide it by however many pay periods you have in a year, and that's the most that you should pay anybody during this period um, or what will be covered by the loan. You can pay them whatever you want, but right. That's right. <laughs> there's only so much that's going to get covered. Um, and that's your, your primary point. Now, keep in mind the 75%, uh, when the loan was issued, it was based on two and a half months worth of payroll. So when you back that out and shrink it back down to eight weeks of payroll, it should equal 100% of your prior year payroll. So so that's really where we're going to start getting into the interesting uh, calculations of trying to maintain these wages. Yeah, the uh, just a couple of other things to include in the payroll cost. So you can include uh, group health insurance that the yes. employer pays, so you can include that as well. You can also include uh, the employer portion of retirement matching or, or other retirement payments that you make for the yes, employees behalf. For 401ks and things like that. Right. So all of those add up and they're part of the definition of payroll costs. So all of that is included in, in that 75%. And again, all of those, uh, assuming you had that same knowledge at the time you applied for the loan, you'd have done your loan calculation the same way. So you're you're really it's it's the same it's the same calculation you're doing to get yeah. the loan as when you spend the money. Exactly. They they designed those calculations so that when you take two and a half months worth of total payroll cost and then scale that back seventy five percent, it should take you pretty much to the exact same number of what your average monthly costs were from your prior year of what you used when you applied. Theoretically, it, it should be very close, and that was the goal of how they, they set this up. Right. So there, so that covers 20, 75% of that loan amount. So if we spend 
75% on defined payroll, then we pass the test. The other 25%, we also have to spend that on designated item types as they as they've outlined in the in the paycheck protection program and those are those are limited to what type of cost so the approved costs or the covered costs by the ppp loan includes your rent so any type of uh, rent that you're paying for your office space or your um, store restaurant uh, your mortgage interest so if you own or if you have any type of loan interest um, that was prior to uh, february 2020 you can write off the interest, not the principal, but the interest, uh, and then utility bills. And now utilities, that does include anything like your telephone and your internet. So uh, basically the stuff that you need to be able to operate your location. You know, you can't, uh, you can't, can't work go without electricity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't go without your electricity, but for those of us who work on computers, our internet and our telephones are just as important. Uh, to be able to function. So those things are still included in that definition of utilities. Um, so it's not just your your kind of hard core basic utilities to keep the lights on. It does include those electronic utilities Good. as well. So that is, that's really the easiest calculation that we have to do is long time, 75% spend it for payroll, the 25% have to, we have to spend that on the, on the correct items as well. So that's the easy calculation. Now the more difficult is we have to be able to retain 75% of our full-time equivalent count during the eight-week period as before. So there's a measurement period that we use to compare that eight-week period on how many people we're paying. Yes. Uh, so this has caused a little bit of confusion because when you applied for the loan, they weren't asking for full-time equivalent. They just wanted to know how many employees did you pay in an average pay period. Um, which is not always the same thing as a full-time equivalent. If you work in an industry that has a lot of part-time employees, your full-time equivalent number will be significantly different than what you put on your PPP application. So you have to make sure you learn how to calculate those FTEs for full-time equivalent uh, to be able to show what you had in 2019 or whatever your look-back period is and what you have currently. My understanding, and, and you know, again, we can go back and double check this, but my understanding is you, you're going to be expected to have pretty much 100% of your prior year employees or very close to it. Um, there will be some certain exceptions and carve outs, but expect to try to have to have the full number of full-time employee or uh, equivalents as you did a year ago. So are they what is what is the measurement period that they that they've required or that they've suggested that you use for your uh, for your standards? So you take a period either in 2019 or you look at some period in 2020 as a look back comparison. Uh, and it varies depending on whether you're a seasonal business. For for most businesses, you can look back to a three or four month period in the spring of 2019. Uh, so that would be you know March, April, May, June, which is. Comparable. roughly equivalent to the same time period that's going to be covered during the PPP loan. Uh, if you weren't open in the spring of 2019, you're allowed to use January or February. Uh, and again, you know, there will probably be some additional uh, exceptions to right. that if your business is, you know, more seasonal, but then you hadn't fully ramped up and so on and so forth. Uh, but in general, most people will be able to use their same time period from 2019 as their comparison. I have seen that is that's a that's an option that they they make uh, they they provide to the 
to the uh, borrower. So yes. it's their choice what period, of, what comparison period that they use. Yes. But but I think you should use sound judgment and common sense in that. So uh, under normal circumstance, you wouldn't expect the full-time equivalents to decrease dramatically in this eight-week period in comparison to a prior period over the past year. Correct. You know, th- there will be some uh, just, you know, kind of good judgment that needs to go into this. And now is not the time to try to get creative no, with how you're counting be, your exactly. uh, full-time don't, equivalents. Don't be creative, but let's, look, this may sound uh, boring or very simplistic uh, to those that are watching or listening, but this let's do the simple calculation for an FTE. And remember that all people that work, they have some percentage of an FTE. So if it takes four people uh, that they worked 25%, then you add all four people to, e- to equal one full-time equivalent. So go through some of the just the, the simple mechanics on how to calculate an FTE for people that work. Yeah, there there's a couple different ways. You know, some people will find this easier. Uh, my preferred method is to first go through and identify everybody who's considered full-time. Just take them out of the equation immediately. Uh, and that would be, my understanding is they're going to be using the ACA definition of full-time, which is an average of 30 hours per work week. So if you do a bi-weekly pay period, that'd be 60 hours. Um, but go through and find the people who meet that requirement or if they're getting paid salary, pull all those people out, count them one for one. So if you have five people who get paid salary, that's five full-time equivalents. Now you're left with your part-time people add up all of those part-time hours and then divide by however many weeks are in your pay period or how many, you know, full work days. And that will give you the equivalent of what full-time number of people, if they were all working 30 hours, how many people would it take to reach that same number of hours? And then you combine those two numbers, your actual full-time plus that part-time equivalent and add that together to get your total full-time equivalent. Right. So do the same calculation during the eight-week period or every pay cycle that you have in that eight-week period, do the same type of calculation in your measurement period or your basis that you're doing the comparison to. Yes, absolutely. Start by doing this calculation on your prior year numbers or whatever your comparison period is. Make sure you know who you were paying and what you know how many hours roughly they were averaging so that you can then copy that when you go into your eight-week period to be able to maximize the amount of payroll and the amount of employees that you're covering during your PPP period. Okay, so we're in we're in the second part of the calculation, and we're only looking at FTEs. So we're not saying if Joe worked before and Sally worked before in our measurement period, Joe and Sally have to work in our eight-week period. We're just looking right now in step two is, do we have 75% of the FTEs in our eight-week period that was our comparison? Is that right? Yes. Okay. Mainly, you want to make sure you're paying the same number of hours. That's you know, right. In the same time time frame. Okay, so that also is a threshold of seventy five percent. I've seen some that suggest that it might be a hundred percent, but okay. that that may be in debate still. Yeah, I, I do think that, and I've seen there's there's different um, suggestions that come from different lending institutions. Also, sometimes they may take a more conservative. Uh, interpretation than what comes out from the SBA and the Fed. Uh, But I've seen that also from different banks where they want you to retain 100% of the FTE count in the eight-week period as as you had prior to that or your comparison period. My general uh, sense as I've walked through this with a few different people is that in order to meet your, um, in order to meet that 
spending 75% of your total loan on your payroll, you're almost going to have to pay the same number of people the same amount of hours just to get to that 75% number because otherwise it starts to get a little uh, dicey. You're, you too, know, you're that, too much on the edge if you yeah, do that. Yeah, you're not going to spend enough of the uh, loan on payroll to meet the requirements. Okay, so we're still in part two. So before we, we move off of this, this doesn't necessarily fall in part two, but the the timing, uh, this is really, that eight-week period is really on a cash basis. So yes. you should pay, it's, it's when those checks are written is when it counts for that eight weeks. So yes. don't be a day late, don't be a day short, don't be two days short, or go go past that and you've missed the, the cutoff period for the eight-week calculation. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure that you sit down and figure out from the day that the money hits your bank, Eight weeks from that day is the last day you should be spending any money and expecting it to be covered by the PPP forgiveness. Uh, now, what I've run into with some people, if they've realized that they messed up their first pay period and they said, oh, no, we didn't pay enough employees or we didn't, uh, we wanted to rehire some people and we, we didn't know we'd get the money in time, uh, find out if you can do an extra supplementary payroll and, uh, and get that in there, um, even if it's for a prior pay period. There's no limit on going back and adjusting those pay periods and doing extra. Right. So, you know, that would be better than not paying it at all. Exactly. The key is they want you to pay people. So if you furloughed people, rehire them, pay people. If, you were, if you're late on paying them or you underpaid mm-hmm. them, then make up the pay during that eight-week period. That's really what the money is for, both to rehire people and to make sure that you keep people on the payroll because they want they, – the government is doing this because they want the companies to pay people rather than rather than them become unemployed and go to the state unemployment and get paid that way. Exactly. So this all about keeping people employed. So we've gone through step one and two. Remember, step one was the big calculation, 75-25 of your loan amount has to be spent correctly. The FTE count, uh, based depending on the interpretation, either 75% or 100% during the eight-week period has to match your comparison period. And now step three is on a per-person FTE basis, those have to be 75%. You can't pay people less uh, than 75%. You can reduce their pay or their compensation level by 25%, but you can't go below that. Correct. Uh, So, And this is meant to prevent employers from basically cutting the wages down on all the hourly people or people they just didn't want to pay and bumping up their managers or the owners and paying them additional salaries. There's no rule that you can't do that, but you can't cut people uh, or no more than 25%. I would say, you know, if you're not sure, maybe be a little conservative, maybe reduce them no more than 20%. Uh, But definitely be cautious about reducing those hours and that pay uh, because they will be looking on a person-to-person basis to try to see, you know, hey, are you maintaining people's wages? Because, again, this all boils down to wanting to keep people from having to uh, go broke and not pay their rent and not pay their bills. If you're pay- not paying them the full amount, it's not going to satisfy that requirement of what the government's trying to accomplish here. Right, and I'm assuming that, that there can be replacements. So if <clears throat> if Joe or Sally were in your base period or your comparison period and they have been unemployed or they left or or whatever they're not they're not available for working now that you can replace those people with other people that are of comparable pay that's my understanding they're going to have to make some allowance for that uh, because of course if you're in a, a high turnover you know in a retail or a restaurant hospitality industry there's a huge amount of turnover uh, but you should be able to roughly show 
we had this person, they're now gone and we've replaced them with this other person that I've paid a similar amount. Uh, you want to kind of aim for paying somebody, you know, for that same amount of wages that you would have paid to that former employee. Right. Now, I have seen also that you can pay, you can pay people more during that eight-week period than they were paid before. You can pay them bonuses during that eight-week period, but you can't pay them for future work to be done. Correct. The understanding is that you're paying them for eight weeks of payroll. It is not meant to be uh, an advance on future earnings. Uh, it is not meant to be, you know, oh, we're we're catching you up from stuff that we owed you from six months ago. It, it's meant to be you earned this during this eight-week period. And again, there's no rule about not doing bonuses, but you should not kind of go crazy with uh, trying to prepay people and then say, okay, well, now I'm off the hook and I don't have to pay your right. payroll for the next, you know, two months after this. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't work. Yep. So th I have not seen that the guidelines are, are very restrictive or that they address this at all. So that if you're, if you're, if you're paying every other week or you're paying uh, weekly, that if you, if you're, if the time period that you receive the loan, that that overlaps a pay period, that you're not going to get dinged for that partial week or that partial pay period. You get credit since you paid that during that eight week, you're going to get credit for that full payment. That's my understanding. Um, and I believe they're going to be doing it again, like we said, based on cash basis of when the money is distributed to the employees and not necessarily what pay period it was worked. Um, just because that's how payroll taxes work. So that seems like the most logical option that they're going to choose that. And now, again, are they going to be wanting to know what pay period is this related to and what time frame was this earned? That will probably come up. But really, the, the bottom line will be what day did you write the check? What right. day did the employee receive it? Pay it. All right, so we've gone through three of the four calculations. So one, 75-25, big picture. Second is the FTE count, and that should be anywhere from 75 to 100% of the FTE count during the eight-week period compared to your base period or your period prior to COVID. And then the fourth is, I hope you can, can help define this. I've not seen any further uh, guidance on this, but there's a fourth, fourth one that they throw in there that says any reduction that you may have sustained during your calculations of step two and three those reductions can be eliminated if you rehire everyone to get your FTE count up by June 30th. That is really going to be the most mysterious part uh, of how that's going to come into play just because we aren't there yet and nobody's really experienced this yet. Uh, I think the challenge with that is that uh, even if you can qualify for that, okay, you know, we've we've fixed our total number of FTEs or we've fixed that pay per person, um, that if you still didn't spend 75% on your payroll, is that going to still kind of be the, the make or break situation that even if you've uh, you may be short paid during the eight weeks and now you've you've gotten those employees back now, but were you able to spend the 75% to yeah. qualify? And that that's really where I feel like it's going to get a little, uh, maybe a little dicey. I think that is, that is the, that's the understanding that I had of the reading. The uh, step four says, if you took a ding in step two or three, so if your FTE count uh, doesn't, did not retain the 75 or 100% of the, uh, compared to the base period, or you didn't pay people correctly within those FTEs, 
if you took a ding on that and you didn't give, get enough, uh, you lost some of your payroll, your debt forgiveness, then that reduction is eliminated if you rehire them by June 30th. However, it doesn't excuse you for spending 75% during that eight-week period on payroll. That's the way I've read it. I could be wrong. They could come back with some kind of more um, generous reading of it. But my base understanding is that at the end of the day, they want you to spend 75% on payroll costs. And if you don't do that, that is going to uh, decrease the total amount you can have forgiven. Now, it, that doesn't mean that you're you know, going to get it all taken away from you. But it does mean that you will have less available uh, to get forgiven and you will have to pay back some of that money based on not meeting that 75% requirement. Okay, so tell me this. So can you explain uh, a company, let's say a company has, they've received a, uh, a loan and they're not able to open or they determine that it's not in their best interest to open at this point, so they may run out of time to spend that money. Do What happens if they if they resign themselves to, okay, it's okay if I don't get this forgiven, I'm just going to let this convert into a loan, and I'll repay that over two years at 1% interest. Is there any restriction on what they still have to spend that that money on? My understanding, based on the reading of the application, uh, if you go back and uh, remember that application form, it had a ton of different things that needed to be initialed off on and signed off on by the applicant. Uh, and one of those items includes a statement saying that I am going to spend this money on payroll, rent, utilities, and my mortgage interest. So if you do not spend it on those items at some point during 2020, then you may be uh, in jeopardy of violating that certification that you gave to the bank and to the SBA saying that you needed this money to pay your payroll and your rent. Uh, I don't know how heavily that's going to be enforced. That's that's certainly debatable. But just keep that in mind that during the application process, you did say that you were going to spend it on payroll, rent, utilities, and mortgage interest. So above all, you may you may have money not forgiven. You may have part of the loan not forgiven. But above all, you have to spend that money, 75% on payroll cost and 25% on rent, mortgage interest, and utilities. So that seems to be the overriding theme of the Paycheck Protection Program is to spend 75% on payroll, regardless of when you spend it or who gets the money. Yes, that is the end goal of the whole thing is to keep paying your employees as much as possible, as long as possible, and, and make sure that that money is out there in the economy to keep things running. Well, you have heard it here. We have we have tried to make this as simple as possible. It is a four-step process to determine how much of that Paycheck Protection Program loan is forgiven. Uh, the SBA and the Fed, they're still coming out with regulations, FAQs on how to go through the process, how to do this uh, more specifically, and how to clear up some of the items. So be tuned to the SBA.gov website. If you have questions, please contact us at Bean Team. Uh, you can look us up online, beanteam.com. You've been listening to Roxanne Sexton. She is the expert on the Paycheck Protection Program, all things accounting. Roxanne Sexton, thank you so much for joining us again. Absolutely. This Great has been uh, good information, information that a lot of people want to know. A lot of people are asking the questions right now. You've heard it here on Business Matters. I'm your host, Charles Musgrove. Thank you for joining us. 
Tune in every week on Real Talk 93.3. Check us out on YouTube, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts. We are out there. Business matters. Have a great day. Have a blessed week. Peace and love. Be safe. The Business Matters Talk Show with Charles Musgrove is sponsored by The Bean Team. For all your business accounting and tax preparation needs, visit beanteam.com or call 893-7710. You can listen to more episodes of Business Matters on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or visit beanteam.com.